So this day, this Sunday, we've set aside to talk about the, the Savior who lives to save us and what he has accomplished in our lives. So I asked three people to share today. One of them, Brian Schaefer, can't be here. He got stuck in Virginia last night because of weather. So we're going to have Kevin Coso share, who's been coming here to the church for quite a few years now. And Hadassah Regeer is going to share. And then one of our second year students will take Brian's place, Caden Brown. And so each of them will come up, just one after the other. I will introduce each of them. And they promise to stay on time. And we'll be targeting to finish it new. But even if it goes a little bit longer, it's just a great time of hearing what God's doing in each person's life. So Kevin, thank you. several weeks ago uh, if I would be willing to give my testimony this morning and I said yes in preparation I have thought a lot about exactly what a testimony is and how to share mine I think typically in the church people consider one's testimony their salvation story the point at which they accepted Christ and and became a believer and if you think about it, a testimony is really a trial word. Uh, when there's a crime, a trial is scheduled, and witnesses are called to give their testimony, and the case is judged. The testimony is used to prove or disprove the case. And maybe part of a Christian testimony is to determine whether or not there has even been a salvation. Is the person really saved? And the church should have an opportunity before accepting a stranger into fellowship, and I've been going here several years, to know who that person is, and they should be able to hear the story of that person's salvation. And that might be a part of the reason, that, uh, the reason for a testimony. But the real reason for the testimony is not to testify to me and about my salvation, but to testify to God. And... Our testimony is, an, is our opportunity to witness for God, to God. Uh, is he really God? And how do you know? And what is his character if he's God? And how do you know him? What have you experienced? And I knew immediately when Charlie asked me uh, the story that I wanted to tell and share about God. And it's about how I've gotten to know his mercy and his love and his compassion in a very personal and highly emotional way. And uh, when I was very far from him and didn't deserve it at all. And if there's anyone that does not yet know God that is here, I hope and I pray that my testimony would witness accurately to who he is. I had this story in mind, and I knew what I wanted to say, 
But there were a couple of problems um, with my testimony. First, typically a testimony would be about Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, uh, God the Son. Uh, because without Jesus, there is no relationship with the Father. But in my story, I really felt God the Father and the Holy Spirit uh, more involved. And secondly, I wasn't sure whether my story is really a salvation story. Uh, I have a problem with knowing exactly when I was saved. When Jesus talks to Nicodemus, uh, he explains to Nicodemus that you don't, you don't understand how the spirit works, but you see the effects. And I feel that's very much the case in my life. I can feel and see the effect of the wind, but I don't really know where it came from and how it works. I see spiritual birth much like physical birth. A baby doesn't begin life at birth. That begins much, much earlier, and the birth is just the coming out part. And even after physical birth, a child doesn't necessarily know they're a child. You know, it takes some time, and then there's an awareness that comes. And just like physical birth, I don't think it has a whole lot to do with the child. I feel like it's completely outside of their control. And to some degree, I feel that in my own case. I was very blessed uh, to have believing parents that raised me to go to church. I was baptized as a baby in a Lutheran denominational church. And we went to church every week and rarely missed. I went to a parochial school when I was young from grades one through four, and every week we learned uh, Bible stories in school. And we memorized hymns. Every week we'd memorize a hymn. And uh, we learned, we, we went through the Lutheran Catechism and learned what the doctrines were of the Christian faith and specifically Lutheran denominational beliefs. Uh, when I was nine, we moved from Wisconsin to Raleigh, North Carolina, and there was no Lutheran Wisconsin Synod Church in Raleigh. And so we joined a couple of other displaced families uh, meeting in one family's home until a Wisconsin Synod Church was uh, funded and then built. I was an usher starting at 12 years old. I mowed the church grass when the church was built, uh, and, I, and we cleaned the church uh, monthly. At 13, I went through a confirmation class where you learn the catechism and the doctrines of the church, and then after that, you go up and there's an examination, they call it an examination, where you sit in a chair, and there were three of us in my confirmation class, and then you get peppered with, the, with questions from the pastor. And that's the way that you prove your faith to the church so that you can, as we did, take Holy Communion. So that you are a true believer. And I believed back then, and I still believe that I was part of the family of Christ at that time, maybe as early as second or third grade. I never really had any doubts whatsoever about God. In the church I grew up in, the emphasis was very much that we were saved by grace through faith and that it wasn't from ourselves, but was a gift of God. Uh, the Lutherans were very opposed to the Catholics and believed that Catholicism was a works-based religion. And so the emphasis, uh, and Luther obviously the, began the Reformation, uh, the point was to avoid anything that could be called works. Although going to church when I was young was a big deal. I didn't necessarily enjoy church as a kid, and it wasn't really my decision to go, or to be confirmed for that matter, but I very much believed in God, and I understood that I was saved by his undeserved grace. In fact, when I was a kid, the pastor once described heaven as never-ending worship and praise and church, and I thought, 
I don't want to go there. When I was 16, I got a job at Ace Hardware. And part of the reason I got the job was because it required that I work Sundays. And I thought that that was a good deal because I could avoid going to church and sitting through the sermon. And my dad would let me off the hook. Um, but after a week or two, my dad said, oh, no, buddy, you're going to church. And I said, Dad, i got to work. I'm going to get fired. And he said, then get fired. And I got fired. <clears throat> uh, they put me on the schedule, and I didn't show up. I told him I can't. My dad told me I can't come on Sundays. I was 16 years old, and I got fired. And I thank God that he gave me a father like that. Um, I didn't like it at the time, uh, but I appreciate what my father and my mother both did. They did everything that they could to nurture me in a relationship with God. And then I went to college, and I saw no need to go to church, and I didn't lose my faith, or I didn't stop believing, and I didn't have any doubts. There was just no need. Uh, I was saved by grace. I didn't think that God really had any expectations of me. Works were not required. They were almost a sign of a lack of faith. Uh, there wasn't any real purpose, as far as I understood. Uh, once you're saved, you don't have to work. Uh, you don't have to work at it. Be reasonably good and enjoy yourself. I never had any strong conviction of sin as a child or a kid in college. I knew that I was a sinner, but I wasn't terrible. Uh, if anything, by the world standard, I was above average. Uh, and God loved me and had chosen me, and so I was fine. After college, I got a job, I went about my life, and I lived my life. And uh, I would rarely go to church, uh, mainly because I was either out too late uh, and drinking on Saturday nights, or I had too much to do on Sunday. And uh, I remember I, would, I had a job in, in uh, Schaumburg, Illinois, and I would pass this mega church, and usually going about 70 miles an hour in a 45. And uh, one time, well, uh, I started to feel like a curiosity about going to this church, and, and I don't know what caused that. And uh, there was one incident where I was flying by the church, and somebody pulled out of the, out of the parking lot. There was no stoplight or anything. Pulled right in front of me drove me off the road, and of course I, I um, gave them an earful and uh, cussed and swore and flipped them off and everything else. And I think maybe that guy prayed for me after that um, because I started to feel a desire to go and hear what this place had to say. And of course my parents thought it was a cult, and I started going, and every time I would go, it was like the guy was talking right to me. There's 5,000 people in the place. Uh, it was Willow Creek Community Church. And um, uh, Bill Hybels was looking right at me every time, and I'm like, look at someone else, you know? Uh, it, it, was, it was uncanny, and I, and I started to feel this... Um, I, I recognized a couple of things. One is that when you're a Christian... There are things for you to do. It's to be a witness to God in the world, to an unbelieving world. And I realized I wasn't a very good witness. Um, there were a lot of things wrong in my life that I hadn't noticed before. There were things that I was doing that weren't quite right. And it was starting to get at me. Um, some of the things were bothering me about what I was doing. And I felt like I need to clean up a little bit, you know, so I can be a better witness. And right about that time, coincidentally, some consequences started to happen in my life that exacerbated that, that, that forced me to start to respond and um, make some decisions. And they weren't easy decisions because with sin, it doesn't stay constrained to just you. It spreads out. 
into other people, into relationships. And it wasn't an easy business to, um, to, to rectify some of the things in my life. And it wasn't, and the consequences were, were very complicated. Um, but I had to decide if I was a God follower or not. And again, I felt, I felt like I knew God, and I still feel like I knew God at that time. And I didn't make the decisions in a vacuum. I very much prayed, and I sought God, and I was trying to step out in faith and do some things that maybe the world wouldn't understand, but that I needed to do. And, uh, and things surprisingly, and I made those decisions, and I separated myself from some of the other people in my life uh, intentionally, and um, things did not get better. They got infinitely worse. The consequences were infinitely worse. And things were falling apart. And, um, and, I, and I said, God, I know that I'm doing what, you're, what you want me to do. I know it's not going to be easy. And I accepted those consequences for myself. And I continued um, following God as much as it, I did. You know, I didn't want to separate from people, but I felt very much like I had to. And I continued uh, following God. And things continued to get worse. And I, I had a job interview. Um, and I had, to, I had to pick up a pair of dress shoes for the interview. And uh, th- there was nobody supposed to be at the apartment. And so I was going to swing by the apartment. I didn't tell anybody. I was going to swing by the apartment, get the dress shoes, go. And I had my interview. Later that day, it, it was with IBM Systems Integration Division in Chicago. And um, I swung by to pick up the dress shoes. And um, I went into the apartment. And my friend had attempted to commit suicide. And um, it was a direct result of me. Uh, And I had to call the 911 on a landline, of course. This is over 30 years ago. And I'm trying to stay on the phone, and I'm trying to keep a person alive that was dying. And, uh, and I remember the person kept me on the phone, and it's like, I got to, you know, and the ambulance took forever. The ambulance showed up. The fire department showed up. The police showed up. And uh, I didn't know whether this person was going to live or die. And uh, then they uh, got him into the ambulance, and then the ambulance was there forever. And, and I didn't know whether they were alive or dead. And uh, it was a cold, uh, cold day in Chicago, and it was raining and um, freezing rain. And I followed the ambulance to the hospital, and I missed, obviously missed the job interview that day. And, uh, and I, I was at the hospital waiting to see if the person would recover. And um, everything's going through your mind. And all this had, you know, it had been building up for a long time. There was a lot of stress in my life leading up to that. And I couldn't understand why God is allowing these things to continually get worse. You know, when I was doing the things, I was trying to follow him. And things were getting worse and worse. And uh, finally, uh, the person regained consciousness. I was allowed to go into the room. And I'm trying to ask for their forgiveness. And what I had done, without even really recognizing it, I look back on now, and it was very similar to David and Bathsheba. In saving myself, I had thrown that person. uh, I had... I had allowed everything to heap up on that person that I was ultimately responsible for. And that person was completely alone. I, um, you know, I'm trying to call their parents and they're, 
know, it was just, it, it was just a impossible situation that I didn't want to be in. And uh, so I was there. Uh, I was in the room talking to the person, trying to give them hope in a, in a situation where there was nothing but despair. And, um, you know, really, I just wanted to, you know, uh, get away from the situation. Uh, and so uh, finally at 1230 at night, they kicked me out of the room, you know, because there was a lot of crying and they're like, you got to get out. And so I left. I didn't really know where I was because I had followed the ambulance to the hospital. And um, I didn't know what was going to happen next. I didn't know what I was going to do with my life, how I was going to go on, what was next, you know. And um, I went out to my car, and I had a car with a power antenna on the back. And uh, when I had parked at the hospital, I had driven through freezing rain, and the antenna had frozen in the up position. And that entire time while I was in the hospital, the, the engine was trying to pull the, the motor, was trying to pull the antenna back down. And it was frozen in the up position. So when I got in the car, when I opened the car door, there was no light. Uh, when I turned the key, there was nothing. Uh, no sign of life whatsoever from the car. And back then, you didn't have cell phones. I didn't know where I was. I didn't know how I was going to call a tow truck. Uh, and it was like the final, you know, there was nothing for me. I was stuck. I couldn't even get away. God had me in a vice grip, you know, and I couldn't even escape the situation. And I just broke down and I sobbed and I sobbed and I sobbed with my head on the steering wheel. And I just said, God, just hold me. Just hold me. I know you exist. I want to feel held. I want to be held like a baby. That's all I want. And the most incredible feeling, uh, it is the peace that passes understanding, came over me. And I felt God's presence. And I felt his mercy. And I felt his compassion. And I felt his love, unlike I've ever felt in my life, despite Everything that I had done, despite everything that I had done wrong, I felt his love. Uh, fatherly love, or the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Um, and it was, I, I, it was worth it. I, I, when it was, you know, I just tried to stay in that for as long as I could, because it comes over and you, you don't want it to go away. And then it went away, and I just praised God. I'm like, oh my gosh, thank you. You know, because it was unlike anything I'd ever felt. And, um, and uh, I let out a breath and I was like, wow, that was great. Now I got to deal with my problem. How do I get home? How do I call a tow truck? How do I, you know, where do I go? I don't even think I had a jacket. And, uh, and so I, I thought, well, I don't know where the thought came to me, but maybe I should try the key again. And I turned the key in the car, and the car started right up. And I then knew that God just wanted me to get there. He just wanted me to experience that. He wanted me to stop my efforts and know that he was God. Be still and know that I'm God. Not you, you know? And, um, and, and it was such a feeling that I could not understand, I mean, why he would do that for me. And um, that's what I wanted to share. I would love to say that, uh, oh my gosh. <laughs> I would love to say that that was it. And from that point on, uh, I, um, I followed God and, and always trusted. The reality is I, I, had, I had God 
but he was in the passenger seat. And it took many, many more episodes like that until I fully have learned to trust him. Um, but God is an amazing, compassionate, loving God. And I hope that if you don't know that about him, I hope that that's the thing you take away, uh, that no matter what you've done, no matter what you do, no matter how rebellious or stiff-necked you are, that God is, is, uh, is a God of forgiveness and love and mercy. That's it. Thank you. Good morning. I cried all through Kevin's talk. Let's see if I cry through my own. <laughs> all right. I have notes too. So there is an immense security in being with family. And what I have learned is that blood really is thicker than water, but the spirit is actually thicker than blood. And I have had the privilege of getting to be a witness to the spirit's work in y'all's lives. And it has been a huge blessing to me personally. And so I wanted to say that from the outset. Some of you don't even know who I am, <laughs> but I've been watching. Um, my name is Hadassah Regeer. It's Regeer, not Regeer. Um, <laughs> he's only known me for 20 years, and so, you know. Um, I am Lugie's wife, which means that I don't do puns. That's not true at all. Um, and I have three really wonderful children, Emrys, Idris, and Fenella, and they're all sitting back there. And I, like Kevin, grew up in a Christian home with people who truly loved the Lord. And that was a wonderful thing. Um, and I wanted to share about his faithfulness to me in that. Because it's one thing to be surrounded by people who know and love the Lord, and it's another thing to take ownership of that relationship in your own life. So um, I was the second eldest of six. Todd is one of those six. He's my younger brother. And my, both my parents and my grandparents were in ministry for generations. So that was very much part of my life. And I got to witness their walk with the Lord. And the thing that was fascinating to me about it was um, they didn't do everything right. They didn't get it right all the time, but they loved the Lord. And they didn't talk about him as though he were some distant thing. They talked about him as though they knew him. He was a person. And they would pray and they would talk about him like, like he was right there in the room, you know? I, I still remember my dad uh, watering the lawn, which is what he loved to do. And, and he would just pray. He would water the lawn and pray. And he would encourage me to do the same thing. He would tell me, I remember when I was in college, and I was struggling, because college, you, you kind of get bombarded by the world's thinking. And it can be a hard place to be. And I was struggling, and my dad told me one day, he's like, Dasa, just get on your cell phone. Like, get on your cell phone and like pretend to be talking to someone, but just pray. Like, just talk out loud to the Lord. Just talk to him and let him speak to your heart. And uh, my grandmother, who was also another mentor of mine, uh, she would say the same thing. She would also, uh, she had done, she loves cross-stitch, and she had done this cross-stitch for me. It's in my kitchen. And it said, listen for your father's voice. And so when I'm working in my kitchen and I'm disciplining children or whatever it is, I have that, just real big letters across from me. Listen for your father's voice. And that was, the, that was the thing that my parents wanted me to know, is that he is real. He's not, some, he's not some pie in the sky. He's not heaven someday. He's here. His presence is here. And so, yeah, I, when I think of my family, I really do think of Psalm 16, 
where it talks about how um, you know my heritage is beautiful to me. That's how I feel about my family. So, yeah. And they knew they needed Jesus. Boy, did they know that. <laughs> um, so, when I was six years old, my uncle actually had passed away. And I knew that I wanted to be where Uncle Tim was when I died. And my mom invited me, and she was like, well, do you want to do you want to pray and ask Jesus into your heart? And I said, yeah. And so I prayed. And that was kind of the beginning for me of just kind of understanding that the Lord is present in my life. And him building that, that sense of trust and that presence and cultivating that in me. And from there, it was very much emphasized to me that I am God's child and that he is the perfect parent. And so some of the verses that really stood out to me growing up were the ones in Hebrews, which talk about how, this will give you an idea of what kind of a kid I was, <laughs> talking about the discipline of the Lord. And it says, um, hang on. It says, it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which we all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we, shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness." All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And I would say that throughout my growing up years, the circumstances would come and the circumstances would go, but the theme was always the same. Am I entrusting myself to the Lord? Am I walking forward in faith? Am I recognizing that he's actually bigger than what I'm going through? And um, I feel you, Kevin, because I was kind of a stiff-necked person myself. And I was like Eve in the garden. I wanted to rule. And I don't like having to wait on the Lord or trust him. I wanted to know how it's all going to work out. And I wanted to lean into my plan rather than to exercise faith. But God is the best father. And he carried me through all of my unbelief. And he gave me many opportunities to be obedient and to entrust myself to him. And some of those opportunities were allowing me to be in circumstances that I couldn't handle, like public speaking. And, <laughs> and allowing me to see my limits. And by doing that, he was showing me that it wasn't the circumstances that really needed to change. It was me. It was my perspective. Was I reckoning on who my God is, how big he is, and what he is capable of, and what he's already done for me through his son? Um, I tried for a long time to live the Christian life in my own strength. And in order for that, in order for someone to come out of that, they have to see that it doesn't work. They have to experience failure. And they have to see the limits of their, of their own human ability. And that has been the circumstances of my life where, and it's been little things. I don't have I don't have any crazy stories, but it's been just this continuous little thing of, of the Lord reminding me of, no, Hadassah, like, I've called you to trust me here. I will do it. My dad used to tell me that obedience is our nurture. And I have come to see that that has been very true in my life, that as I walk into circumstances that I, that I feel insecure about, that he really does be to me 
all that he says that he will be. And he really does grow me from faith to faith. And that's been a continual theme in my life throughout all of these growing up years with the Lord. So I'm learning to lean into faith. I'm learning that, um, frankly, that uh, homeschooling, marriage, motherhood, friendships, all of those things are not actually edifying or fulfilling unless they are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I can honestly say that at the time, the times that I yield to the Lord and that I recognize his presence in the moment, that is the fullness of joy. And I, I don't always do it. I'm not always consistent. But he is consistent. And he is faithful. And he keeps bringing these different opportunities and speaking to my heart and saying, will you trust me here? Um, one of the things that he is teaching me is to say thank you before I know what's going to happen. So when the child breaks the leg, or when there's birth defects showing up on the sonogram, or when you have no idea what's going to happen with the person who was just taken to the hospital, walking into that circumstances and walking into that circumstance and saying, Father, I don't know and I don't understand, but I'm gonna thank you ahead of time. I heard a speaker once say that. A thousand, or one thank you before you know what God's going to do is worth a million after you find out. And I have found that to be true. So I just wanted to encourage y'all with that, that as the Lord asks you to entrust yourself again to him today, that he's asking all of us to do the same thing. And he is so worthy of it. And I have zero regrets. Six-year-old me had no idea what I was getting into. But 36-year-old me says yay and amen to everything that the Lord has taken me through and says he is absolutely, absolutely faithful. So there you have it. Good morning. Wow, never would have thought I'd be up here before. Man, it's crazy. <clears throat> well, it's a blessing to hear all these testimonies this morning and just to <clears throat> see how Christ is working and to see God's faithfulness and mercy through all of our lives. Um, you'll have to forgive me. I had a cold and my voice is a little weird. So uh, one thing I did want to mention before I give my testimony is... Something I think often we think about when we grow up in a Christian home and we have a quote-unquote easier life is we think, I don't have a testimony. I don't have something great and miraculous, some big thing that turned me back to Christ. And I don't want you guys to think that you don't have a testimony in that. That is a huge testimony of God's faithfulness and God's love for you. A quote I heard that I don't remember where I got it from, but I think it just rings so true in my life or in the lives of everybody, is it says, what God protects some of us through, he also protects some of us from. And I love that, because no matter your testimony, whether something hard or something easy, God has protected you through it or from it. So I'll begin my testimony. I'm reading this morning. Um, I'm also severely dyslexic, so we'll see how that goes. But <laughs> I'll start off. I had the privilege to be born in a loving Christian family. My dad was a pastor and my mom was a stay-at-home mom. I was five years old when I sat with my dad and I accepted Jesus as my savior. When I was two, my dad took a group of people from our church to the Amazon for a month long missions trip to build the church. They had to mill all their own lumber and transport the lumber to the site where the church was being built. During this process, my dad was injured in his back and was injured my dad had injured his back, and that changed the course for my family's lives forever. We lived in California at the time. My dad had to take a leave of absence from the church. He was hoping the many surgeries and procedures would help, but none of them did. 
So in 2009, my parents made the decision we need to resign from the church and we were going to move to Arizona with my grandparents. My mom needed help and support with me and my sister and my dad. I also had a cousin who has heart problems and wasn't expected to live. So we all wanted to be close to support one another. After moving to Arizona, my dad continued to decline and spent the majority of his time in bed and was heavily medicated. My mom got me involved in gymnastics, and I think it was really good for me because it gave me something to focus on. It also gave me a physical outlet and developed in me a love for working out. I love my dad, and I remember some good times with him. He loved the History Channel, Discovery Channel, and of course, football. He loved to talk about the Lord, the Lord and God's creation, but in the midst of all that, he struggled with so much pain. He was constantly heavily medicated, so he could not carry on a conversation for very long. I grew up hearing my dad screaming in pain throughout the day because of his back. It was just part of our lives. It seemed so normal to us until people came to visit and then they would realize it was not normal by their expression or they would ask if he was okay. He became very addicted to his pain meds and was not the same man he was before. Growing up, I felt like I missed out on so many opportunities of having that father-son relationship I desired. He never was able to teach me how to play sports, to fish, to work out to read my Bible, to study. These were just some of his great loves. I do not remember ever hearing my dad preach or teach about God's word. I feel like that is one of the biggest wounds in my life. Sometimes it's hard when people tell me what great a man, teacher, pastor, fisherman, and the list could go on and on because other people knew that about my dad, but that was not the man I knew. On April 15th, 2015, my dad made a decision to commit suicide. I remember hearing my mom yelling for my grandparents and it woke me up. When I came out of my room, I had no idea what was going on. I walked down the long hallway to my dad's room and I witnessed my mom trying to save my dad's life. I felt frozen in that moment. The police and paramedics were coming in and out of his room. I watched them load my dad in the ambulance and that was the last time I saw my dad alive. I was 12 years old and I remember having a conversation with God after I had experienced my dad committing suicide. It went like this. God, I don't ever want to feel again because if someone ever needs me, I don't want to freeze and be a coward and not to be able to help again. <clears throat> Needless to say, I started a downward spiral in my life. I came to realize that you can't cut yourself off emotionally without affecting all areas of your life. I slowly started making one bad decision after another, and before I knew it, I was far from God and my heart had hardened towards him. I did not understand how a good God would not heal my dad when he was serving him in all areas of his life. He was a good man, a great teacher of God's word, and I prayed for him every day to be healed, and God did not care about me to answer, answer my prayer. So I no longer wanted anything to do with God. I had rejected him. I thought prayer was a waste of time. I thought he was going to do whatever he wanted, and I did not matter to him. I remember one day my sister coming to visit me after her years of Bible school at his hill and telling me that I need to pray for healing in my life because of the things that I saw my sister could sense that I was hurt deep down inside, but was trying to be strong. After her telling me to pray and bring it before the Lord, I turned and looked at her dead in the face and I said, Kaya, if prayer worked, dad would still be here. Don't tell me to pray to someone or something who doesn't care about us, love us, or even think about us. I tried to hide my feelings from my family and put on the good boy face, but I was falling apart on the inside. To numb the pain, I started using drugs and alcohol that I was able to find from friends at school. Looking back on it, I was trying to find a way to deal with what I saw the night my dad died. I was having dreams about it and could not get the thoughts out of my head. Day in and day out, I would see the memories of that dark, cold night that my dad died. I would constantly think about the night my dad committed suicide, and it seemed to be the only memory I had left of him. My mom tried to get me counseling, but I was not willing to talk about it because I just wanted to pretend that I was okay and not feel and process through the grief that I had gone through. My mom ended up catching me and quickly pulling me out of school. I was not happy about this at the time, but I realize now how God protected me in that decision. I was getting ready to start trying harder drugs and thankfully I never did. I don't know where I would be today if I had gone down that path. I ended up doing online school the rest of high school and was able to graduate early. Even though I had not, no access to the same stuff, my heart did not change any. Any chance I got, I would willingly partake. I could see how little by little God was bringing people into my life that were pointing me back to him. 
The first person was a man named Kevin. He invites not Kevin, sorry. <laughs> really, it could be misunderstanding. He invited me to men's Bible study, and those men just surrounded me with prayer and loving kindness. I worked for a few of those, a few of them, and one of them took me hunting on a camping trip with his sons. The next person was my uncle Daryl. My dad introduced me or introduced him to the mission field, and he actually went on his first mission trip to the Amazon with my dad. For many years, he has worked with a mission organization that still goes to the same place where my dad went. He knew I was having a hard time, so he invited me to come with him on my first missions trip to the Amazon in July 2018. It was an amazing experience to see what my dad loved about these people and to meet people my dad knew and helped. This trip is where I came to realize how I had cut myself off to all my feelings, good and bad. I sat and talked with my Aunt Mindy and truly started to grieve the loss of my dad. I think this is the first time I really cried about my dad. The next person that had a major impact on me is a man named Stacy. I had quit a construction job and was looking for another one. I made a phone call to one company and they sent me to Stacy because they did not have any openings. I went in for an interview and, hired, and he hired me the same day. He's a really strong believer and tries to hire people with the same beliefs. The man he put me with, Doug, is a great guy who loves the Lord. And every day he started to challenge me with what I was thinking about, what I was reading, and what I thought about the Lord. I'm severely dyslexic, so for me to start reading was a really big step. I think for so long I told myself, it's just too hard. I just don't understand enough. Doug was patient with me and took time explaining things to me, and I started really growing in my understanding of God's word. He would walk me through God's word as we worked. He would teach me how God can build my life up just like we build houses. It was a beautiful picture of God's work. The EMTs and paramedics that took care of my dad made a huge impact on me, and one of my goals was to become an EMT and possibly one day a firefighter. I decided to go to school. After the first night, I was completely overwhelmed. The academic side of EMT school is, is very hard and has a large dropout rate. The first tech test I took, I completely failed, and I, and I was embarrassed and felt like I was too dumb to be successful at this class. My mom reminded me that my brain just learned different, and I had to figure out how it captured information. Doug was also so encouraging to me, and he would even quiz me while we worked. And on our lunch break, he would help me with my flashcards. I believe that God also used this time to start developing my prayer life. I prayed more before and during that class than I had ever remembered. I ended up passing and completing the class, and completing and doing well in this class has given me the confidence that I can be successful in school. My parents had wanted all their kids to go to a Bible school. When I finished high school, I got up the nerve to finally tell my mom I was not going to go to a Bible school. I knew this was going to hurt her. That was a hard day for my mom. She cried a lot and tried to convince me, but my answer was still no. The next year, for some reason, I was feeling drawn to Texas, but I did not know why. In my own thinking, I started to tell God that if I was supposed to move to Texas, I needed a reason to go. After that, every sermon I heard and conversation I had just seemed to be leading me to Bible school. Several months after working with Doug, another guy named Paul, the Lord started working on my heart. Last March, I told my mom I was rethinking my decision about Bible school. My mom encouraged me to apply, and I applied and was accepted. After I was accepted, it was not just smooth sailing. I started to doubt my decision. I loved my job. I was making really good money. Um, and being financially independent was very important to me since we grew up with very little. Even though I had grown up, even though I had grown up so much, I just kept wondering if I was missing out on something and was tempted like never before to fall into my back, my, my old lifestyle. It was crazy. I do know that Satan is alive and well and is like a lion seeking to devour us. As hard as it was to leave that security, I'm so thankful I did. I came to Bible school expecting that all of this might just be a waste of time and money, but I was gonna give it a try. The first day at the hill, I was walking around and I kept asking my mom, did I make a mistake? And was cons consistently just saying, ah, let's just leave here, I made a mistake. And the reason I thought that is because I, so, I saw joy in so many people and just thought it could not be real because I did not feel that way. In my mind, life was just hard. 
What a work God has done in my heart. My friendships at the Hill have meant so much to me and developed and encouraged me to continue to grow closer and closer to the Lord every day. One of my favorite times of the day is just getting up and reading God's word. During my first year of Bible school, I learned so much and fell in love with God's word. I saw God's word come to life in my life in my first year of school. Now I'm almost done with my second year, and God has continued to show me love and mercy through all areas of my life. I am so grateful I came to the hill to learn about Jesus Christ. The last few years of my dad's life, he loved a song called 10,000 Reasons. Being here at Bible school, I started thinking about that song differently and discovering why my dad liked it so much. I didn't understand it, but now as I look back at what my dad was trying to teach me, it has made a huge impact on me. He could sing these words even in the depths of his despair and yet still never blamed God for his situation. You're rich in love and you're slow to anger. Your name is great. Your heart is kind for all your goodness. I will keep on singing 10,000 reasons for my heart to find. And on that day when my strength is failing, the end draws near and my time has come, still my soul will sing your praise unending 10,000 years forevermore. He actually wrote a letter to all of us before he died, and he said, don't be angry with God. He has a reason and a plan for all of us. The thing I would like all of you to take away from the testimony that God has graciously given me is that he's a faithful God, and he will put people into your life to be signposts to point you back to Jesus. I'm so thankful for those signposts that God has put in my life. I know that God will remain faithful in whatever challenges we may face in life. So remember this. God isn't afraid to stick his hand in our mess and shine his glory through it. There's nothing too dark or too hard for the Lord to work in. Also, God is a God of hope and love. But don't think, hope of, this, don't think of hope as this delicate thing. It's not. Hope has dirt on its face, the grit of cobblestone in its hair, but is still ready for another go because the hope of God is never ending and will never be defeated no matter how many battles you may face. It will be the thing that stands with you. I'm going to end my testimony with reading Colossians 1, 26 through 28. <clears throat> God's read reads like this. That is, the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom will to make known what is the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Thank you.